Welcome back to The Hash, the world's medical-grade cannabis podcast, now powered by Leafly.com. Use Leafly.com to order cannabis for dispensary pickup in select markets straight from your computer. I'm Max Savage-Levinson. Thanks for listening. Although cannabis legislation is now being proposed across the country at a steady clip, it can be easy to forget that the first calls for legalization from elected officials came nearly half a century ago from Congressman Barney Frank of Massachusetts. My name is Barney Frank. I uh, have spent most of my career as a, as a legislator. Uh, in 1972, I got elected to the State House of Representatives of Massachusetts and served there eight years. And then in 1980, I got elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, and I spent 32 years as a member of Congress. Uh, the last years as uh, first the chairman and then the senior Democrat on the Financial Services Committee, which meant I kind of closed out my activity dealing with the financial crisis and working on the uh, bill to reform the financial industry. Frank proposed the country's first legalization bill in 1972 and is among the true godfathers of cannabis reform. Frank left office in 2013, but earlier this year, he entered the cannabis industry himself through a partnership with a Massachusetts wholesale company called Greentown Beantown. Recently, I had the pleasure of chatting with Frank in New York City to learn more about his long history with cannabis reform, the parallels he sees between marriage equality and cannabis, the current state of national political affairs, and much more. Thanks for uh, letting me swing by your hotel room for a bit to chat about um, your long history with cannabis reform and legislation and legalization. I really, really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to. This is obviously a very uh, critical moment. Things are, things are finally changing. Sometimes it, you think it's taken a very long time for things to change, but then uh, once they start to change, they change rapidly. And I think that's the case with cannabis. Frank first became interested in cannabis in the 70s while serving in the Massachusetts State House after President Nixon appointed a commission led by the Pennsylvania Governor Raymond Schaefer to investigate the alleged ill effects of cannabis. Unsurprisingly, at least to us today, the Schaefer Commission didn't exactly strike gold. When I'm about to do something controversial, I want to test the other arguments. One, to make sure I'm right. But even more importantly, frankly, because I'm generally convinced I'm right before I get involved that deeply, I want to know what the other arguments are. I want to know what what kind of fight I'm getting into. So I went to what I thought was the best source on the prohibition side, and it was a commission Richard Nixon appointed, headed by the man who was then the governor of Pennsylvania. Back then he was what we called a moderate Republican, a species which has long since been extinguished from the earth. They couldn't think of any good arguments. They were obviously told they had to come out against it. And so they were very ingenious, and I remember this very clearly. Their only real argument against making marijuana legal, letting marijuana be legal, they said that if people smoke marijuana, their incentive to work goes away. They become uh, uh, lackadaisical and and, uh, unmotivated. And if you had the widespread use of marijuana America would suffer economically because there would be a, uh, a drop in the work output. And if people could smoke marijuana, they wouldn't work hard, and America's uh, gross domestic product would suffer. Well, that was such a silly argument, and it was clear that uh, uh, that was the best they could come up with. That's the best you can do! <laughs> 
By the 90s, Frank had taken up the issue of cannabis legalization in the U.S. Congress. He teamed up with an unlikely ally, Republican Ron Paul of Texas. Conservative Republican, but also a libertarian, an honest one, unlike most of the Republicans who use libertarian rhetoric just as an excuse not to help poor people. In 2011, the two co-sponsored a legalization bill that wasn't too different from this year's States Act, which, if passed, would give individual states the right to make their own cannabis policies without interference from the federal government. I asked Frank why he thinks cannabis hasn't received more bipartisan support, although he was quick to point out that the recent Safe Banking Act received significant support from both sides of the aisle. He had some strong words for the GOP. It's an indication of the grip that the right wing has on the Republican Party. The irony is, uh, and this may change it, Donald Trump has actually said that he would sign the bill uh, to give states the freedom, not just in banking, but elsewhere. And as he obviously understands, and as we know, a lot of his voters smoke it. Part of the problem was, uh, and this is one reason the logjam may be getting broken, Mm. Jeff Sessions, who was a terrible attorney general, people made the mistake of, on the left, saying nice things about him, mainly because Trump hated him too. But, um, uh, you know, just contrary to one cliche, the enemy of your enemy isn't necessarily your friend. And... uh, uh, but Sessions was fanatically anti-marijuana, and he was going to make such a big fuss that, the, that deterred the Republicans. I reject the idea that we're going to be better placed if we have more marijuana, and you can just go down to the corner grocery store and get it. Frank was also ready to dole out some scathing criticism of Paul LePage, the outgoing governor of Maine, where Frank now resides. That right-wing uh, uh, fanatic Paul LePage just defied the public will. It makes him into a total liar and hypocrite because he's the one who talks about the people's will. And then the first time the voters in a referendum, or the second time they did it in another case, do something he doesn't like, he totally repudiates it. And it wasn't just Republicans. Frank threw some shade, albeit of a milder variety, at Obama for what he saw as Obama's reluctance to support cannabis reform. We were pushing the Obama administration not to enforce the federal law, but to, in effect, allow the state uh, de facto to uh, carry out legalization, and they were kind of dragging their feet. And uh, Eric Holder was not doing more that we wanted. So when I announced my retirement, uh, President Obama very graciously invited me and Jim, my husband, uh, to lunch at the White House. So we did go and uh, had uh, just the three of us had lunch in a quiet office. Jim had actually bought a tie that had reproductions of all the president's signatures. And... uh, he now has on that tie the actual signatures of both Bill Clinton and, and Barack Obama. We didn't get George Bush's. There were a couple of things I wanted to raise him. One was to cut military spending, and the other was uh, to go forward with that. And he kind of defended, basically he agreed that the policy should be to let the states have the freedom. The disagreement was he, he seemed to think that he was doing better at that than he was. I mean, he didn't want to acknowledge, I think, that they were dragging their feet. So, so the substance was, yeah, you're right, the state should have it, but we're already doing that, and my argument to him was, no, no, you're not. And they moved, finally, in my last year, we had a meeting, again, with my colleagues Blumenauer and Perlmutter and these, some others, and um, we did get the uh, what's known as the Yates Memo, uh, put out by Sally Yates, who was a deputy attorney general who people may remember was a an early uh, 
resignation on principle in the Trump administration. Um, but they did put out a memo that said, basically, we're not going to enforce this. The problem was that then this fanatic Jeff Sessions takes over, and it was unclear. But that appears now to be back reinstated. Mm -hmm. But um, we, we, we had to push Obama to, to carry through on what he said he wanted to do. Later in our conversation, Frank drew some interesting parallels between the fight for marriage equality and cannabis legalization. In both of those cases, there's some others, but these are the most strongly parallel in my mind, people invent negative social consequences. They argue that same-sex marriage is bad for other people. Well, in both cases, that's frustrated our ability to get these through because a lot of people who don't do it but didn't necessarily disapprove said, well, you know, people, respectable people say this will have negative social consequences. Why take a chance? Yeah. And then you get a breakthrough. In Massachusetts, you got a breakthrough because of our Supreme Court, led by the wonderful Margaret Marshall, and we had same-sex marriage. And nothing bad happened. All these predictions about what was going to happen if there was same-sex marriage were disproven by reality. And as that happened, more and more states joined in, and as more and more states joined in, the myths got further and further eviscerated. Similarly, you got a couple of states that legalized marijuana, said Colorado and Washington right away, and none of the bad things happened. Many argue, well, there was a slight increase in this, or there were you know, eight people in the emergency room instead of six, uh, but the, the experiences have been good. In none of the jurisdictions, this is the key test of a public policy's popularity, in none of the jurisdictions where they've gone ahead has there been any effort seriously to undo it. Nobody's repudiating it. And uh, so as in same-sex marriage, people said, well, you know what? What difference does it make to me? Frank's own consumption of cannabis has been limited, but that hasn't had any effect on his approach to legalization. No, I don't smoke it. Bill Clinton ruined this for me. I have a sinus <laughs> condition. I was a cigar smoker for many years. I gave it up at Jim's urging. Um, I never inhaled. I tried marijuana once and I didn't inhale. I had been reluctant to say that because Bill Clinton said it and it sounds like, you know, just a joke. Um, I have uh, had some edibles, but I, um, I just, I, I, I haven't enjoyed it or felt the, the need for it. But people said, well, how come you're such an advocate of something that you don't do yourself? And my answer is, for as long as I've been in public life, I've voted to make abortion legal. Recently, Frank became more than just an advocate. He's now part of the industry. Earlier this year, he announced that he had teamed up with a Massachusetts wholesale company called Greentown Beantown, founded by a family friend of his named Andrew Muddy. He gets a 1.5% stake of the company in exchange for serving as an advisor and as a public representative. As I said, I'm advising them on how to go through the political process and uh, publicizing their work. Uh, as we go forward, and I continue to believe in their integrity, I think I may have some value in kind of reassuring people about that. Greentown Beantown has made national news for pulling a handful of goofy stunts, including constructing a 100-foot-long joint in 2017. A Worcester group is trying to break the record by rolling the biggest joint. The guys over at Beantown Greentown who put it all together say it could very well qualify for the Guinness Book of World Records. I don't know. You tell me. Have you seen one longer? I asked Frank what he thinks about the company pulling those stunts. How do you ensure that things like that don't become detrimental. By making sure they don't. That's a very good point, and that's one of the areas where I've been advising them. There's, there's, got, there's a way to have fun 
without uh, encouraging irresponsibility. And uh, I think that that's, that's very important, not to be in any way encouraging uh, excess. That's a, that's a legitimate consideration. That's one of the areas where I've been trying to give advice. What's, uh, what's the most significant advice you think they've, you've given them? Well, the best advice I can give people who are doing what I do is don't talk about the advice you give your clients. <laughs> yes, sir. Duly noted. As we wrapped up, it became clear that for Barney Frank, getting into the cannabis industry is about more than just making money. It's a way to become part of a movement that he has long advocated for. I'm very happy to have the affiliation with Beantown Greentown because it is a chance for me to put into practice what I've advocated uh, in a responsible way. And it's, uh, you know, I hope it's profitable. I hope I make some money out of it along with everybody else. But that will only happen if we provide a very useful service to people and show that uh, we can carry out this policy of legalized access in a responsible way. Actually, that reminded me of one quick thing I just wanted to clarify. I believe I read you have a 1.5% stake in the company. I just wanted to make sure that I was quoting that, you correctly. That, that is true, yes. Great. Well, Barney, thanks again so much for taking the time. Um, it's a real pleasure to get to chat with you. Thank you. That was Barney Frank, a true champion and OG advocate for cannabis reform in the United States. For more stories like this, head on over to leafly.com. For The Hash, I'm Max Savage-Levinson. Thanks for listening.